Welcome to the Mama Bear Apologetics Podcast. A podcast where we teach you to roar like a mother. And by roar, we mean recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce these ideas with your kids. Unless you want to growl around your house. I mean, that's cool too. <laughs> You're like, check it. We keep it reels. <laughs> that's so bad. You're awesome. Mama Bear Apologetics is a listener-supported program, so if you like what we do, head on over to the Mama Bear Apologetics website and click support. It's time to rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Hey there, Mama Bears. Welcome to another Mama Bear Apologetics podcast, where we help you raise up the next generation to stand firm against the cultural tide. I'm so excited to be able to join you, join with you today because I've got someone awesome that you are no doubt familiar with. Her name is TZ Cannon, and she is the contributor, one of the contributing writers to the very first Mama Bear Apologetics book. Now, I'm not going to give away all her awesome details because I'm going to let her share a little bit about herself. But TZ, thank you so much for joining us today and just sharing your wisdom on this topic that we're going to reveal shortly. Wow, thank you. Um my list of awesomeness, I think, starts with my grandbabies because <laughs> they're so awesome. Um, I don't know. I, I am super blessed to have been a part of the team of writing the first Mama Bear apologetics book and just uh, the moments that I've been able to just glean from the wisdom of the other Mama Bears. And so this is a real blessing to be here chatting with you today. And uh, I just... I would consider myself kind of an educated friend. I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a professional level, like educator on, on all things apologetics, but I just love God. I love learning about what I believe, how to defend it. I've been studying it several years. Um, and uh, I love that I am a mom. My children are all grown now. My daughter has given me two beautiful grandbabies and my two boys are adults as well. And I love my husband and um, love just being a part of local ministry at my at my church. But I think one of my biggest blessings is just um, having my kids all at this point grown with all the mistakes I made and all the things I've learned along the way at this point, still just pursuing Jesus with their own hearts. So that would be my biggest accomplishment, I think, which isn't really me. That's that's the Lord, too. But um you know, I just have been privileged to have some pretty amazing kids and I'm thankful for that and an incredible husband. Oh, that's awesome. And that's what I love. Like (laughs) family is the most important things. Like you can do, you can have all sorts of jobs and awesome, awesome accomplishments, but to be honest, it's, it's the family that really is just, oh, there's so much joy there, especially when it comes to kiddos and grandbabies. I mean, that's, that's just wonderful. So today, folks, we have got a great topic. In fact, TZ emailed me. She's like, hey, I've got this idea for a podcast. I loved it. And what it is, it's not only pulling from her experience as working as an educator within Christian private schools, but what we want to talk about today are just questions that every parent should ask when it comes to enrolling their kiddos in a Christian private school and even a homeschool co-op. And this is awesome. We've started our school year already. Uh, This is a great point to start. But some of these questions may not have come to your mind because if you're like a lot of parents, it's, oh, man, if it's got the Christian label, we're good to go. But it's important to be able to ask these 
further questions and TZ is going to pull from her experience. Uh, I've had not as much as her. Um, I have taught uh, in Christian private schools as a substitute, as well as taught within Christian homeschool co-ops. And so we're just going to look at some of these really important questions that parents should ask when it comes to having their kids participate in this school to make sure that they are on a solid foundation. So TZ, just share briefly, what, what is your experience here within, I believe it was Christian private schools, correct? Right. Yeah. So I actually taught in the public schools, um, a middle, was a middle school teacher for about seven years in public education. And then I taught for three years at a private Christian school. And it's been several years now since I taught in the classroom. But what I uh, noticed then and some things that I'm noticing now and some of my former students who are now college age brought up some of these these issues. I was just thinking through, wow, you know, what are some just points, things that are leading to some of them are having some some real struggles with their faith now after yeah. actually going through a Christian education. Mm-hmm. And I know as, you know, parents nowadays were, were very aware of some of the pitfalls of public education and some of the different battlegrounds that our kids might be facing, worldview issues, uh, different cultural influences, but some of us might not be quite as aware of some of those pitfalls that can actually be present even in a Christian, or maybe even more specifically in a Christian education setting. And so I just thought, wow, it might be worth just bringing some of these things to mind. You know, I I never want parents to feel like panic. Oh my gosh. But we have to be informed. And, you know, when we sign up to be parents, it's a high calling, a beautiful calling, but we can't go on autopilot. I wish we could sometimes, but, you know, there's just things we need to keep, you know, be aware of. So Christian school is not like, yay, check. I don't have to do anything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No. And I I think that's really important too, because there, there were times when I would be teaching in in a Christian private school and I would hear some of the conversations that the kids have. And I'm like, wait a second, how long have you been going to this school? And I mean, they had been there since like, pre pre K, like from the age of three, all the way up. And I'm like, wait, and we don't have a grasp of the fundamentals. What is happening? And it's, it's just, I I don't think these questions are being asked. It's not being reinforced within the home. And so it's really important to look at them. And so this first one uh, that you raised, uh, I I think is fantastic. It's our teachers theologically trained. So where did you see this uh, in your experience of, of this question needing to be asked? Because me as a parent, I would think, okay, if it's a Christian private school, obviously there has to be some theological training going on here for, with the staff, but that isn't always the case. Right. And, you know, I think I can say from my own experience that when I first started teaching in a Christian school, I had never had any formal theological training. And I'm not I'm not saying that like your math teacher and your history teacher, like every single teacher on your staff needs some formal, like has needs to have gone to seminary. However, right. I think the the class that really I think is important to ask about is your Bible class and and your administration. Like do do the governing people, the administrators, are is there theological training in the staff so that there's some oversight into some of the troublesome areas that can arise along the way. And I, you know, I only have experience in one Christian school, so I'm not trying to like say anything that's across the board, but I know that what I've seen, even in some of the other local Christian schools in my area, is that the Bible class is sometimes given to maybe a PE coach or, you know, a, a coach of a sport because 
they need to get extra hours so that they can, you know, validate or, or um, justify a full-time salary. And, and so they'll put, they'll piece people into this Bible class, which, and it could be people that are just so passionate about Jesus. And I don't want to like say that I'm, I'm not trying to ascribe a bad motive here. I'm just saying that like, you know, it's the difference between having someone who's passionate about the sea and someone who's actually trained to um, navigate a ship. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you love that they're passionate about Jesus, but in, there are some touchy different issues that can arise doctrinally that if you don't have that extra training, you may not be prepared to handle in a very uh, a thoughtful and pro- um, productive way. Yeah. So, you know, I just noticed that. And, and again, I'm transparent here. I taught middle school Bible for uh, at least one year before I actually even began my own deep dive into apologetics. And I began to realize a lot of the things that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, again, not ascribing bad motives here. I love Jesus with my whole heart, but I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. No, and that's a great point. And it uh, it brings to mind like another great question to ask is uh, also what curriculums are being used within the class? Because that's going to give you a great opportunity to research uh, the company that they're using, the curriculum of itself, what it's teaching, if it's glossing over, uh, you know, huge primary issues of the faith. Um, and also a really important thing that you had mentioned uh, is hermeneutics and the need for hermeneutics training, which is uh, being able to read and study the Bible correctly and be able to come to right conclusions about the passages you mean, you read. So that that's huge with teachers. Um, one, and, and I don't know, are you familiar with this? I believe it's um, ACSI. It's this uh, um, association like Christian Schools International. They have great certification programs too for a lot of their teachers. So that would be a good thing to look for too at your school that you are thinking of uh, is to see, okay, are they, um, I believe it, uh, ASCI or ACSI um, is, do they have that certification? Right. And, and, but I will say that I actually have that certification and every teacher in my school was required to have it. Mm. And so that is definitely a great thing to look for, very important to look for. But above and beyond that, just, you know, being aware of like the curriculum piece is huge for because of a scope and sequence. Yeah. So you might be in a Christian school if there isn't a scope and sequence, a clear like especially regarding Bible, for example, I mean, Usually schools are pretty good with having a clear scope and sequence when it comes to math, especially, and even maybe language arts. But Bible, if there isn't a scope and sequence, then there are going to be most likely these big gaps in in their understanding of, of church history. Well, not, not even church history, but biblical history, biblical Christian doctrines, the gospel, uh, a lot of different, because it's then left to what the teacher feels led to, to teach. Yeah. And I was actually in a school where I appreciated some of that autonomy. However, that, that really left it so subjective. It just left it kind of like, well, what do I think is important for my students Mm. to know? And maybe the next teacher they, they would go to, uh, would, would feel like, you know, skipping several steps or so to speak, or just missing so much richness in the big meta narrative of God's word and, and his redemptive plan and their place in it. 
So I do think the curriculum piece is is huge. It's not a fail safe. It's not like, oh, we've got a good curriculum now where we can sit back. But at least we know we've got objectives and a a skeletal, you know, path forward that we can touch on really important doctrinal points. Awesome. So that first question there, is there training? Look for certification, find out the background of the teacher, what schools that they attended, is hermeneutics being taught, what curriculum is being used. This will give you a great opportunity to not only understand your teacher and your student's curriculum better, but you'll be able to see what your kiddos are learning. So very important, regardless if you're in a Christian private school or homeschool co-op, find out what they're learning. Um, And great first step. So the second one I absolutely love uh, because I think it's so important. It's one thing that I saw as well uh, working within Christian private schools is this, uh, does the school teach everything through a Christian worldview? And secondarily, do they actually teach what a worldview is? Because one thing I noticed, TZ, is is that so many times they do, they will teach things um, from a biblical or a biblical worldview, meaning all of the truths of the gospel are assumed, but it wasn't really engaged critically. So it almost seemed like this whole, okay, well, this is the Christian truth. And then there's other truths. And so that's where the pitfalls I saw with some kids is they would go up and they would be in junior high and high school. And they'd say, okay, yeah, you know, I've heard all these stories. I know, you know, who climbed the tree and who built the ark and everything, but um, that's just their truth. And other people have their own truth and that's okay. Um, um, and so I think it's it's so important to see this two part uh, this two part addressing of the Christian worldview. Not just is everything taught through a worldview, but what is a worldview? So what did you see? Yeah, I, well, I just this one I was just thinking again. I'm just being unashamedly transparent here that part of my teaching journey was I was a very passionate lover of Jesus, but mm-hmm. I hadn't really. I had a lot, and this is the point, is that I was a Christian for many, many years before I even ever heard the word hermeneutics or even really had to sit down and define what I would mean by Christian worldview. And and I don't want this to feel like a sh- shaming or, or anything, even to right. educators that might be listening or parents, but yet what I thought that meant genuinely was we're praying in class. We're Christians here teaching. We're, we're Christians who are teaching. And that's a Christian worldview. And and if I pray at, during class time, then then I'm I'm teaching through a Christian worldview. You know, that is kind of what my practice looked like. And when you begin to understand how much more, how much richer um understanding what a worldview is and then being able to help the students um, see how the beautiful, how much more hope-filled and how much more comprehensive and intellectually and emotionally satisfying the Christian worldview is compared to some of the others, but then also pointing out like what is appe- what's appealing to mm-hmm. a naturalistic worldview. Like why would anyone believe this? It helps us to be actually more, I think, compassionate helps our students to become more uh, compassionate and prepared to engage in the arena of their friends that they will meet and other worldviews and things like that. And I just, so I would just think it'd be important to ask those questions and find out what do you mean when you say you're teaching through a Christian worldview and what do the teachers understand and I mean, again, I mean, for all these points, yeah. which we might say this later, but 
I'm not saying that like if your Christian school doesn't check all these boxes perfectly, you should hightail it out of there. Right. You might, but, but minimally, this is what we need to be addressing with our children at home, no matter whether they're in a Christian school or not. Yeah. Uh, Just so that our kids are prepared to understand these things uh, because that Christian school might be the best option we have at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, so I'm, I did want to throw that out there as well. Like, okay, if they're not hitting a hundred on all this, like (laughs) we're out. It's like the same with the local church. There's no perfect church, No, but um, being aware will help us prepare our children for the potential um, pitfalls or waves of confusion that are coming at all of us down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the point that you made of, of uh, you know, not only seeing how appealing the, the biblical worldview is, but contrasting that w- and comparing it with other worldviews. I think that's such awesome. If you've got a school that is not only presenting the Christian worldview, but is also charitably engaging other worldviews, oh my gosh, they're going to be leaps and bounds ahead of most kiddos because now, okay, look, let's look at other, uh, what other belief systems believe and how can you engage with your Islamic friend or your Hindu friend or your atheist friend? I mean, it's, it's awesome when schools are proactive in helping their kiddos engage evangelistically with their friends. And yeah, it's such a, such a great bonus if, if that school or that co-op is definitely teaching in that way. All right. So this next one is kind of interesting because I've actually seen this, uh, this is what you call making making the minors the majors. It's how does the administration handle secondary doctrines? And uh, secondary doctrines, by what we mean by that is like spiritual gifts, uh, the method of baptism, a woman's role within the church, these secondary things that are not primary salvific issues. How does the administration handle those? So have you, have you seen it to where maybe the administration was doing a great job or not as great of a job or just kind of playing the whole don't ask, don't tell policy here? What have you seen, TZ? Yeah, I think um, what, I, what I've seen is that when there isn't a clear path for actually acknowledging that there are different higher, you know, there's a hierarchy of doctrines at the administrative level. And of course, there's a lot of nuance to how people mm-hmm. parse those out. You know, what what might what doctrine might go under, you know, a first level, second rate or however you want to classify it. But just being aware of the pitfalls that can come when you don't have a plan forward on that, because in, unless you are in a specific denominational school where every teacher is affirming all the same nuanced secondary everybody's on the same page on everything. You're going to have teachers that are going to be different, you know, on eschatological issues, on age of the earth, on women in leadership, like you said, spiritual gifts. How are we going to deal with that? So what I've seen is administration having a, taking a specific stand personally, like what they choose to believe on a secondary or maybe a tertiary doctrine, and then holding to that very dogmatically. Yeah. And, the the um the confrontation or the conflict that that can arise when trying as a teacher to even go to your administration to navigate an issue that you might be having with a student or even a personal issue um it really can just bring unnecessary division yeah. in places where we don't need to divide what you know like it's not a hill to die on mm. kind of thing and then also for me again 
throwing myself under the bus as the example. I can remember specifically a time when one of my students came to me, I was teaching Bible, came to me and said she didn't believe in the rapture. Now, that disturbed me so much because I had only been exposed to one tradition pertaining to eschatology in my particular Christian journey. So I really, as a Bible teacher, probably didn't handle that well Mm. because I looked at her like, oh, and I felt that panic. Like, is she even saved? You know, I didn't say that to her, but that is, so that is kind of the example of, I think, where we're going next to on some of these other non-essential issues is that when we as teachers, as educators, as parents aren't aware of this issue, uh, it can cause us to have these little mini crises of faith, panic, fear the worst, and not put these things in their proper perspective. Yeah. I feel, you know, I think I've gone back, I think I went back to that student later when I learned about amillennialism Mm -hmm. for the first time, you know, and just said, oh my gosh, I I was just so uninformed Mm -hmm. on the broader Christian world and some of these debated issues in scripture that it's okay for us to rest in you know, if we don't have a black and white answer, it's okay on some of these issues. And I just didn't know that Mm. it affected how I um, responded. Mm. No. And I love that you went, you went back to the student and had these discussions because the goal is always to keep the door open. We're not going to like every Christian we meet, we're not going to be on the same footing with uh, all every single issue that's that's raised within church and doctrinal battles. I mean, they have been waged for thousands of years, and so we're not always going to agree on things. And so many times there there can be, like you said, these fractions within the church over an issue that you know is is not necessary for us to be dying on this hill. So I love that that you went back and also affirmed that you know what. They're not always going to have the same beliefs. It's okay. We can have good discussion on them. And uh, and it leaves that door open for future conversation, which is so important, not just with our own kiddos and in their schooling situation, but with coworkers and family. Uh, we we got to be willing to leave that, that witnessing door open. Now, one issue that is, is I've seen made so divisive and that it does need to be addressed in schools, most Christian schools will address this, is the age of the earth. So I have seen it go from all range of spectrum to where, okay, you know, it it could be the, the 6,000 years, it could be the millions of years. Like we can see how there is some uh, analogies within Genesis 1 and 3 that, you know, they aren't strictly lining up to what we would say would line up with astronomy um, 100%. Obviously, you can't have morning and evening prior to the sun being created. And to the complete opposite side of if you don't believe in the 6,000 years, you're not a Christian and you're going to hell. So I've seen all range of spectrum here. And so it's important, like what you pointed out, to see how does the school address the question of the age of the earth? And I think that that one issue alone could be, I mean, I don't know what you think, but could be indicative of just how they're going to handle all the other um, secondary and tertiary doctrinal issues that might arise because this is pretty much the hot button issue, like what I've seen. Yeah. And I, it might not be, but in general, like if, because I think what I learned is that what I would really, what I want to do as an educator is teach my students how to think, yeah. not what to think necessarily on Amen. all levels, but yeah. how to think through these things on their own. And again, the, the, the tradition that I kind of came up in, in my Christian journey 
I started out in a cult and then I was just in this one basic tradition for my for so long. Mm. I was only exposed to one view on the age of the earth. And I I was actually um under the impression that it I, you know, was kind of uh a a test, a litmus test for Christian orthodoxy. Like if mm. you don't believe this one particular yeah. view, then you are a nominal Christian at best. Mm. And yep. so I would, when I remember when I began um, my own dive into apologetics, the age of the earth was my first deep dive mm. because I, I remember reading something in an apologist or a theologian. I can't remember exactly who it was that I had great respect for, I was reading their view of the age of the earth and it was totally different than mine. Mm-hmm. And I went into a small panic. Yeah. It was my first little like ma- or major crisis of faith where I was like, oh my gosh, is anything I've believed true? Like what it, it just, but the beauty is it sent me into this really beautiful, rich study and it has expanded my understanding of how, um, you know, of this whole different hierarchy of doctrines, what, what we can hold with charity and um, and also it tied into what I learned about hermeneutics a lot, mm-hmm. which was really beautiful. But I, um, I think it's important. I don't think all Christian schools do teach all the views. And so there might be some that are, and I applaud those that are mm-hmm. uh, some, some, some don't. And you might be up against some strong opposition when you ask if, Hey, can we teach all the different views. And I don't even know if there's a lot of Christian curriculum from the elementary level science curriculum. I could be wrong here. I've actually been looking for that, like mm. science curriculum that exposes young elementary students to different views, like on dinosaurs and things they're interested yeah. in, you know, might be something to supplement more at home, just giving them that, that, that bigger view. Yeah. Good, good plan is just ask them, okay, do we introduce, how do we handle if a, if a student asks about, okay, well, couldn't God have used evolution to bring about man? Um, see how they handle the situation, ask what they teach. And are these other options taught as, uh, as we would another worldview? Awesome. So our next one is, is really important. I'm sorry, I was just thinking, because that, I think, is one of the issues they go off to college. Mm-hmm. If they haven't been exposed to all the views and given an, an opportunity to really think critically through them and to get that relaxed feeling of, oh, okay, you know, when they go off to college and they take their first secular biology class or whatever, they won't be derailed by it. It won't be something they're, they're, they have never heard before, and they won't pit science against the Bible uh, if they've been had that opportunity to be exposed through high school. Yeah, absolutely. And I think along the same footing of the, the issue of the age of the earth, creation, all of that. Uh, another thing is, is, is Christianity and Christian um, history, has it been whitewashed or it, when it's being taught, is it pointed out, okay, look here, here was a mistake that a band of Christians made. Uh, here are some problems in teaching that have happened in the past. Are the, as you said, TZ, the skeletons in the closet exposed? And there's a really important reason for addressing those issues that that you had mentioned to me. Yeah, I think that when we kind of expose our kids to hypocrisy or or failures in the past, and I'm not an expert on church history, but I do know that some of our favorites, you know, had slaves or they were, you know, had some pretty you know, reputations for having bad tempers and and things like that. And so like looking through some of these situations where God is used, even in the Bible, you know, imperfect vessels all along for his his big plan. But even our own 
um, living very, you know, at the level that they can understand just transparently um, with our own need for a savior and not being, not acting like we have it all together, that we are perfect when we fail, just use that as an opportunity to model repentance, model humility, model our need for, for, you know, continued journey of sanctification so that if they see it in their teachers or in their church administrators or their school administrators, which they will see, yeah, they will see a Christian teacher not being consistent. They will see an administrator do something that doesn't seem fair. Mm then they are prepared for that and it doesn't derail them. And they, they think, well, I can't trust, you know, all Christians are hypocrites or mm-hmm. yeah. no. Well, we, we are not following each other. We follow Jesus who is perfect and we want to live a life that would help others come along and follow him. But preparing our kids for that will help them not be, you know, again, it's about helping them not be derailed by these issues that have, yeah. that we could be preventing them you know, helping them prepare for. Absolutely. And when Pew Research did a survey of why uh, kids graduate high school and walk away from the faith and don't participate in church, that's one of the reasons is because they say, well, the church is full of hypocrites. And if we actually understand the sanctification process, we'll understand that when we come to faith, it's not a a magic, oh, now we no longer have free will and we're always going to make the right decisions. We don't become Christian puppets. We're, we're still broken vessels that is striving after a savior. And so it, I love the point that you make there because it helps kids understand this process of sanctification and that it is lifelong. And you know what? We have to actively be giving grace to others just as Christ gives grace to us. So excellent point. So before we go, because we only got a few minutes left, uh, one thing I I saw um, so many kids struggle with, and TZ, I know you have too, is after about third grade, the gospel and and just Bible teaching itself, the kids start to gloss over in the eyes. It becomes, as you said, white noise. And so I, I thought this was a really interesting point that you made of asking, okay, what is the school doing? Is the school doing anything to help keep the students from just seeing the gospel and, and just kind of zoning out and tuning out? Because especially when they're growing up within Christian schools, you know, if you hear it so often, sometimes you do go on autopilot. So it's a great question that you suggest that you suggested about what is the school doing to help kiddos not get bored with the faith? Right. It was one of the most tragic things I experienced with my students was just seeing, I would be sharing some just what I was just bursting my heart. I was just bursting with joy and excitement about something. And I would be delivering this and I would just see these glassed over eyes. And I just think that, um, you know, one of the things I'm thinking about just as what can we do as parents? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe talking to the school about it, but helping our children understand that the gospel is good news for me every day. Mm-hmm. It isn't just a once for all event that I did back then. And then they think in their mind, yeah, yeah, I already did that. I remember I got baptized 10 years ago at church, you know, or whatever. And they don't think that it has any relevance to their day today. Mm-hmm. And and so however we can help our kids see that the gospel is good news every morning to me. I need a savior every day. I get this hope from him every single day and pointing out those opportunities. Uh, You know, one thing that is hard to know what as a school, whether you can do this for us, we can't jump into their hearts and, and, and give them the love that we have. We wish we could, but not one of the things we can do better at is not assessing a child's 
um, the depth of their faith by their outward demonstration. Because one thing that Christian kids are good at figuring out is how to behave in a way that makes you think that they're on a good path. Christian so Eddie what Hustles. I mean by that is, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so like if I raise my hands at chapel during the worship song, and if I say amen out loud when the teacher prays, or if, you know, I do all of these things, then they'll just leave me alone because they, they think I'm, I'm okay. But those are, those might be the very kids that don't have that firm understanding of what the gospel actually is. And, um, and I mean, for us to guard ourselves from giving affirmation and maybe um, too much, like letting those kids that are really good at doing all the right things, be the worship leaders or the mm. speakers at the assembly or uh, because some of those kids that might not have been raised in a tradition that's quite so charismatic or outwardly demonstrative may actually very much have a very precious faith, uh, but they might not be, you know, looking like that student. And this is kind of derailing onto another topic I had in my mind, but all in all, just um, making sure we're really helping them understand how the the Christian worldview, the gospel is hope and truth and life on a daily basis and not just once and for all thing in the past. Amen. Such great questions. And thank you for your <laughs> insight so much, TZ. Uh, great things you can look Sorry, forward to. I was like, oh my gosh, TZ. <laughs> no, no, it's great. And, and, you know, just a few things you can look for is, you know, are they, are they doing things to get their kid, your kiddos active and engaged within culture? Are they interacting with people of other faiths? You know, sometimes just livening things up a little bit and doing things a little bit differently makes all the difference. So mamas and papas, we hope you've enjoyed this mama bear apologetics podcast. Uh, we're going to include um, below all the questions that you can ask your your teachers just for a quick reference guide. Thank you for staying with us today. And we hope you have an outstanding rest of the day. TZ, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. We hope you learned a little more about how to sift through ideas, accept the good, reject the bad, and now you can go teach your kids to do the same. Do you have any questions or maybe some ideas about future podcast episodes? Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we'll do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, mama bears. We are all in this together.